Good morning. How's everybody doing? I'm doing really well. The baby was making eyes at me through the service, and so I'm a happy, happy man. Question this morning to start. How many of you guys grew up on Disney movies? Yeah, lots of us. Okay. If you were to summarize the main message of any Disney movie, how would you summarize it? You just try to say something, so... Well, what is it, Peter? You got nothing, huh? Don't throw a baseball at your friend's face when he's not looking. Is that, was that the message? <laughs> all right. All right. What would it be? Huh? Good always wins. Okay, good always wins. That's kind of more fairy tale, I think. But that's true. Okay. Follow your heart. That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. Guess what I'm thinking, right? Did you have something different? Friendship is powerful. Friendship is powerful, yeah. That, that's more modern Disney. It used to be true love was powerful back in the day. But follow your heart. Follow your heart. Trust your heart. Listen to your heart. Okay, so today we're going to see why we have the perfect passage to see why fun as all of our Disney movies are, that's total garbage. And so uh, we're not going to beat around the bush. We're going to get into it this morning. Uh, the passage is Proverbs chapter 3. See, she was great when we were making eyes. It's all about me. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here this morning to hear from your word. We pray for all the churches around the city where your gospel is being faithfully proclaimed, that you would move in power, that you would convict of sin, and that you would lead your people into repentance and faith, forgiveness, and newness of life in Christ. We pray that the churches that have strayed from your gospel, you would give them repentance as well. We pray that you would use us to raise up men for ministry and leadership the way that you've raised up Ben. Thank you that he, you have given him to us now as a pastor. And we thank you for the hard work that has gone into that. And we thank you for the ways that he has shepherded and loved and cared for us all already. We pray that this morning you would give us all humility and sweetness, that you would build up this body in the truth of your word and that you would lead us in godliness. Father, give me wisdom as I preach and uh, faithfulness and boldness and humility. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've been in Proverbs for a while now. This is the third of our 10 exhortations from Proverbs. And, or sermons or fatherly admonitions, whatever you want to call them. But we have what we normally think of as Proverbs, right? Which are the little like one-line sayings. And then we have at the beginning of Proverbs, these little sermonettes or exhortations. And they all break down more or less, not exactly neatly into three parts, right? And the first part is listen. And the second part is learn. And the third part is lest, which is just, there are consequences one way or another, right? Uh, If you noticed, I made a big deal last week about how the listen has developed. And so in the very first little exhortation, it was just, hear what I have to say, my son. Listen to what I have to say and don't turn away from my teaching or your mother's teaching, right? Listen. Last week, it was a step beyond listening, right? It was receive, receive my words. And don't just receive them, ask for them. Ask for wisdom, seek wisdom, pursue wisdom. Today, we take another step further. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Don't forget what you've been taught, but obey it and keep it. Hold it fast in your heart. How many of you feel like you're inclined to forget God's word? Pretty easy, right? Uh, how about the instruction of your parents or your, the preaching of your pastors? On a scale of one to 10, uh, one being it's really easy to just walk away and forget that I heard anything. And 10 being, oh no, it all sticks. Where do you fit? Depends on who's preaching, right? Yeah. So maybe if Ben were preaching, it'd be a little more sticky, but I'm preaching. So it's probably not so easy, right? Why is that? Is it because we all have bad memories? Is it? Is the problem our weak minds and our weak memories? I don't think it is. Quick, finish the line. Here's looking at you, kid. We're going to need a bigger boat. May the force, oh, come on, guys. And also with you. (laughs) Tedo, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. There's no place like home. And while we're just in the Wizard of Oz, I'll get you my pretty and your little dog too, right? I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. The first rule of Fight Club is, don't talk about Fight Club. If I am standing on some weird tress place somewhere and I say, I am your father, you say, no, that's, it, it's a, right, all right, all right. If I say, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. <laughs> What? (laughs) My name is? Who? This is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Bond. I see. (laughs) I'll be 
You want the truth? E.T. Phone home. Right? To infinity. We could just keep going. Houston. Which is not, that's, that's a movie line that is not a quote. That's a movie line. Now you know. There's no, I didn't even have to go to crying. There's no crying in baseball. Roads. Where we're going, we don't need roads, right? And I've not done Disney stuff yet, right? Like we could just do Disney, just pick a movie, right? Or we could uh, go back to The Princess Bride. Marriage. It's what brings us, okay, right? Now, Danny pivoted earlier to music, right? We could do the same thing. We could be here forever, forever and ever, Forever and ever, amen. We could. Easy, right? Easy. Um, I cut a bunch of these out. I had like 40 of them spanning over like 100 years of movie history, right? We could just keep going. And some of these movies you've not even seen. You just know the lines, right? Um, if we dug into something like The Princess Bride or The Lion King or A New Hope or a Harry Potter movie, we could just be here for days, right? We could drop a needle in the middle of the movie and hear two or three words and finish the line over and over and over again. So the problem isn't memory, is it? We do the same thing with songs. We can do, some of us can do it with baseball stats. Remembering to do things is not a problem either. Not when it comes to things we want to do. Not when it comes to things we care about. But Peter, did you remember to do your chores this morning? No? You forgot? Did you forget? We selectively forget things that are hard, don't we? Things that may be unpleasant, things that go against the paths that our hearts want to follow. Right? Our hearts are the stubborn ones. That's why we have to do battle with them and teach them to hear God's word and to receive God's word and to remember God's word and to obey God's word. That's why we have to learn self-control. We have to learn to control ourselves because our hearts, they go everywhere. It's a daily fight. It doesn't come easy, but it does come with great reward. The kind of reward that we need to keep in our minds and our hearts if we're going to be motivated to do the work of keeping our hearts in check. And God's not dumb. He's pretty wise. He made us. He knows what makes us tick. And so he fills this passage with rewards to remember his word. So let's read it. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Now, question. Anybody in this room get uncomfortable with the idea that the Bible suddenly sounds a little bit like a prosperity preacher? Length of days and peaceful, peaceful, long, happy life. If you obey God's commands and remember his teaching, promises a long, peaceful life right here. Later, it's going to talk about success, and then it's going to talk about health, and then it's going to talk about wealth. That make anybody uncomfortable? Just a little bit? Makes me uncomfortable. These themes are actually pretty common in Proverbs. They're full of really practical, practical advice on how to live the good life, how to succeed in relationships and business, for instance. 
There are similar things in the Psalms, even the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments has a promise of long life in connection to a specific commandment. Anybody want to guess what the commandment is or no? Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you, so that you may live long in the land. Interesting connection, honor your father and mother. It's almost as if a lot of life and success comes by honoring your parents and building on the legacy they've given to you. So is the Bible actually about health and wealth and prosperity? It's not. It's not. But it is about the world as God made it. And it is about the world as we've corrupted it. And it is about the world as God is redeeming it. When God made the world, he ordered it. There's a natural order and there's a moral order. And when you submit to God's order, it does lead to life and fruitfulness. If Adam had submitted to God's order in the garden, it would have led to life and fruitfulness. When you subvert God's order, it leads to death. That's true and good, generally speaking. Problem is the world's under a curse through the sin of Adam, through the sin of our first father. And because of that, the natural order and the moral order are actively being subverted at all turns. So when you go to the ground to produce fruit for you, it produces thorns and thistles. There are natural disasters. There are all kinds of things that happen. It takes a lot of work to get the world to give you the fruit that you want. There are many obstacles to overcome that stand in the way of the simple formula of I plant a seed and then I expect it to grow and yield a perfect harvest. Every farmer understands the broad principle, you reap what you sow. Every farmer also understands that rain and sun and birds and pests and weeds and kids in pickup trucks with mud tires all happen, right? The farmer accepts those realities. He works with the general principle of you reap what you sow. And then he tries to control what he can control. And then he has to trust God with the rest. And in general, most years, he reaps most of what he's sown. The same is true in all of life. God's commands are, in fact, actually good for all of life. They actually do lead to life. They actually do lead, in some respect, to success in general. But there are always complications. God's commands lead to life and success in proportion to the degree to which the society, the world you live in, honors God in his ways. At different times, it's been more or less. In different places, that's been more or less. But there is, in fact, a direct correlation between the places where biblical Christianity has thrived and where people have flourished and prospered. And you can just draw lines on the map around the world. First world, second world, third world. Where's biblical Christianity been and been allowed to thrive? But it doesn't always work that way in our individual cases, does it? Certainly, what we experience is not always that way. And it's getting harder and harder. Why? Because the wicked are always striving to subvert God's order, trying to create a world where you can reap what you haven't sown, where you can plunder the innocent and the righteous just like we talked about a couple weeks ago. There are many people, too, simply interested in punishing God's people to prove it doesn't pay to be God's people. Every generation has to accept that this is something normal. It's something inescapable. Paul tells Timothy, 
Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Where we go wrong is not by associating good things, a long peaceful life, with following God's commands. That's how the world should be and how the world should work. Where we go wrong is by making health and wealth and prosperity our God instead of the God of the Bible. And trying to use God and his promises as a way to attain the idol that we seek. Where we go wrong is trying to reap without sowing. That's what Jesus was correcting in the Sermon on the Mount. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You can't worship God in money. But don't worry. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. You'll have everything that you need. He will provide for you. In the same way, like we talked about last week, we, we make a joke of the idea of knowing God's will by demanding that he treat us like children and give us butterflies and warm, fuzzy feelings. We make a joke of God's promised blessings by demanding that he give us the things that we want now, health, wealth, prosperity, just because we say we want it, because we've named it, because we've claimed it. It's childish. It's immature. God is a good father who wants to give good gifts to his children, but he does not have much patience for whiny brats. Obedient children he delights in. Whiny entitled brats, not so much. And so we as mature Christians, as sons and daughters of our father in heaven, we have to come to God as our good father, to trust him, to please him, and trust that he provides for us, cares for our needs. And then we'll be content with what we have. We'll understand that sometimes bad things happen. That's okay. Why? Because we don't worship money. We don't worship ease. We don't worship success. We worship God. Immature prosperity gospel Christians look at status symbols like houses and cars and boats and bank accounts the same way that bratty children look at the number of Christmas presents under the tree. I have 14. She has 15. Hers is bigger than mine. I want more. I want bigger. I want this. I deserve it. I'm entitled to it. And they miss the whole big picture. As if houses and cars and boats and bank accounts are the only ways that God provides for his children. As if they're all that valuable, actually, in the grand scheme of things. As if they mean that much. Sure, they have value in their place, but where does peace of mind fit in terms of value? Where does peace of conscience fit in terms of value? Where does a good husband or a good wife fit? Where do obedient children that you actually like, where do they fit? Where does a strong church family fit? Little do they know, and it's so hard to find one rich man in 10 with a satisfied mind. The length of days, years, years of life, peace, they will add to you. In general, when things go the way they're supposed to go. Those are good things to want. Good things to want. Not good things to worship. Not things that are necessarily 100% promised, if then. But as a general principle, obeying, building on the teaching of your, your fathers and trusting God and following God's ways leads to life. Even though the wicked prosper, God's ways are good and true. Okay, let's keep moving. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Anybody have a different translation? Everybody's just following along with me. A lot of weird translation things 
happen here. Sometimes it's kindness. Sometimes it's steadfast love. Sometimes it's mercy. Faithfulness is sometimes truth. A lot of the reason for that is translator. There's ambiguity in the text and translators don't know. Is it talking about God or is it talking about you? I'm going to just answer it for you. It's talking about you, actually. It's talking about you. God's not going to leave you. God's steadfast covenant love is not going to leave you. But kindness and faithfulness are exactly what the examples that uh, Solomon set before us last week don't have. Kindness, steadfast love, faithfulness, truth. It's what they don't have. Remember the wicked man and the adulterous woman. It's what they don't have. And it's what we have to hold on to. What you better not let go of, what you better not forsake. It is what sets you apart from the wicked. It's what adorns and beautifies your life. That's the necklace. But it better be more than just the necklace that beautifies and adorns your life that you're known by. It had better be written on the tablet of your heart. It had better go deep down. If it does, apparently, people will like you and you'll be respected and successful in the eyes of God and man. And again, if we're not careful here, we're going to have the same issue with, uh, that we did with the long life, right? Right? We just finished the Sermon on the Mount like three or four weeks ago. How many times does Jesus warn us against doing things for the praise of men? To be seen and noticed by people. He warns us over and over to not live for the praise or approval of men, but for the praise and approval of God. And then here Proverbs comes and says, well, you can have both. But how? What? What about hypocrisy? Well, he, de- he deals with it, right? It's your necklace. It's what people see, but it's also your heart, right? And we're actually talking about two different things. We're talking about seeking the praise and flattery of the masses versus seeking the respect of the godly. It's good to have the respect of godly people. It's different than having the praise of the masses. A good name, a good reputation is something that you should want. In God's economy, among the godly, it flows naturally to men and women of integrity who adorn their lives with kindness and faithfulness, or if you like, mercy and truth. These are all good things we should want. Wanting good things is not bad. God put it here to motivate us to remember his commands and to remember the commands of our mothers and fathers. But the trick is that life and peace and respect that we want doesn't always come the way that we expect. And so we move to the next couple of verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. What we're being called upon here to do is to trust the Lord like children, to have a sincere childlike faith in the goodness of our Father in heaven. The kind of childlike faith that doesn't doubt that dad is Superman and can do everything. (laughs) You ever been there? You remember when dad was Superman and could do everything? Some of you haven't ever had that, and I'm sorry. Um, Some of my kids have it more than others. One of my kids is insane in his trust of me. Um, Yeah, go ahead, Peter, tell him. It's Ozzy, right? From the time that he was itty-bitty, Ozzy thought it was hilarious 
to just dive headfirst to the ground so that I would catch him. Not just here, like what he wanted, like one day I picked him up and I put him on my shoulder and he would just like dive headfirst and I'd have to catch him. And it's just like, it's scary, right? Like I can't hold Ozzy. Now he's six now or six. He's six now. We don't, he doesn't do that much anymore, but for like two or three years of his life, it's like Ozzy thinks it's hilarious to just dive headfirst at the ground and then be caught by dad. Like absolute 100% trust. And by God's grace, I never dropped him on his head. I did catch him every time, but man, this kind of, it was scary, right? Like, just like, what'd you say? He also just jumped from the, that's right, I forgot about that. He just jumped to me from the top of the stairs. He's like two or three years old. It's just like, dad'll catch me, wee! <laughs> like, <laughs> not all my kids are like that. His little brother had is the opposite. But, but that's kind of, that's the kind of trust that we should have in our father in heaven because he does catch us, right? He is Superman. And Superman doesn't have anything on him. As we age, as we grow older, we're tempted more and more to trust in our own wisdom, in our own power, in our own understanding, right? Right? The older we get, you go through, you get to be 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. We want to trust more and more in our own understanding and care less and less about the wisdom of our parents, right? Is that wisdom? It's not. It's not. It is, it's true down to the littlest of children, too. They want to trust their own wisdom and understanding, even the littlest children. So I've been telling us over and over as we've been going through Proverbs, this is about wisdom and it's about maturity. And we get to this passage and it sort of sounds like, no, wait, suddenly, don't... <laughs> Don't lean on your own understanding. I want you to have understanding. Don't lean on your understanding. Now what? Am I supposed to, like, is Solomon telling me to quit trying and just sort of like blindly trust fall into the world? No, he's just telling us to be humble. That's all. Because the deeper we grow in wisdom, the more we have to deal with the fact that God's ways are not our ways. Things don't work like we think they should. His commands don't always make sense at first, at least not until we start obeying them. It's like, uh, it's like Mr. Miyagi with Danielson, right? Wax the car, paint the fence. I don't get it. You don't have to. You'll figure it out later. Wax on, wax off. Hey, thanks. Yeah, it's another one. It's hard. Sometimes you have to trust the master and do what you're told in order to understand, right? Sometimes you have to obey in order to understand. That's hard. And then there are God's hard providences, the things that happen in our lives that cause suffering and pain, and they don't make sense all the time, at least not to us, right? And that's why we have to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. We can lean on our own understanding. We can say, I don't get it, and I don't want to. It doesn't make sense to me, and therefore it doesn't make sense. We can do that. My friend Adam was only six years older than me. He died in his sleep. He left behind his kids. It doesn't make any sense to me. My brother, my father, it doesn't make any sense. Therefore, it doesn't make sense to me. Therefore, it doesn't make sense. Or 
we can be humble and fear the Lord and put our hand over our mouth and trust him with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding because his ways are not our ways. We can depend on him being a good father who loves and cares for us, even when he brings hard things to us. And we can. Don't be wise in your own eyes. You don't see it all. You don't have to see it all. You don't see the big picture. If you think you have to, you're wrong. That's pride. Some things we'll never understand, and that's okay. But if you fear God and turn away from evil, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You can rest there. I don't take that as a metaphor either for something more spiritual. Fearing God and turning away from evil is liberating spiritually and physically. Have you ever really dealt with sin or doubt or bitterness in your own heart, confessed it, worked through it, and felt the freedom in your body? (laughs) Guilt and shame and the weight of unconfessed, undealt with sin is heavy. It is physically heavy. You feel it in your bones. It weighs you down. Sometimes you give it names like depression. David talks about it in the Psalms all over the place. Here's an example, just one of many. There's no soundness in my flesh. This is from Psalm 38. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. My iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. My sides are filled with burning. There's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Sin is heavy. It says because of his sin, right? He carries the weight of his sin in his heart. It kept it bottled up. Had not dealt. This psalm, he's actually beginning to deal with it before the Lord. Finds relief. Sin is heavy, burdensome, but the fear of the Lord that leads you to act and turn away from evil, it's life, it's healing, it's joy, it's strength. Confessing your sin is being unburdened with it. You stand taller, actually, when you walk in forgiveness and in truth and in obedience. You smile bigger when you have nothing to hide behind your smile. So where are you tempted not to trust the Lord? Where do you find yourself unwilling to trust him? I feel like we need a really practical example right here. Like if I could come up with the right example, it'd be really great. Something that hit home. Relationships, maybe. Or maybe something closer to like our pocketbooks or, oh wait, look what Solomon did. Verse nine to 10. Here's an example of where it's hard to trust the Lord and lean not on your own understanding, where things work in God's economy in a way that's counterintuitive. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. It's counterintuitive, right? Wait, if I take from the first things that God's given me and I, I give it back to the Lord, I have less, not more. <laughs> It's not, and he says, no, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. It's counterintuitive. Unless you fear God and then you know that you have a father in heaven and you have nothing 
already that he hasn't given to you, and you don't have anything that he can't take away, and so you honor him with your wealth. And when you do, you find that he's no man's debtor. Not that you're repaid for your efforts, but that you simply can't outgive the giver. You can't outlove the Father. You have everything that you need. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of everything you, He gives you. Put Him to the test. It's one of those counterintuitive places where you have to trust His wisdom and lean not on your own understanding, and it can be scary. But that's only one way we're tempted not to trust the Lord and lean on our own understanding or be wise in our own eyes, right? There's another way. Where do you find yourself questioning God's wisdom in your life? Where do you find yourself questioning his wisdom? Is it when you suffer? When you deal with financial hardship or relational difficulties or romantic frustrations or other kinds of suffering like the death of a loved one. Solomon goes there too. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And when the Bible gives us a command, it's because God knows where we're tempted. He knows our hearts. He knows our weaknesses and he wants us to be prepared. This is the part of the passage that tempers and changes everything about the health and the wealth and the prosperity sounding stuff that came before. Grounds it, brings it all home. Because not only do we live in a fallen world where bad things happen, we're fallen people. We're sinners. And if everything went just our way, we'd never learn, we'd never grow, and we would be wise in our own eyes. We'd be proud and we would forget God. And so prosperity in a worldly sense often falls to the wicked while the children of God suffer. Why? It says here, God loves his children, that's why. He wants them to grow in wisdom, in knowledge, in every good gift and grace he has to offer. And that means learning that there's more to life than success and prosperity. He knows it's hard. He's telling you he knows it's hard. He's telling you how to take it. He's telling you to receive the sufferings of your life as the love of a father for the child that he adores and delights in. And he's calling you not to despise that love, no matter how difficult it is. To not get tired of God's love for you in the places where you suffer, in the places where you're disciplined. To not despise it or hate it because it's just too painful to bear. Don't despise that kind of love. Don't despise his correction. Don't despise his help. Be tired of yourself and your sin, not tired of his love and his correction. Don't despise his help. Despise the sin that makes discipline necessary. Okay. Proverbs and parenting time. When have you been disciplined by God? In your own life, just think for a minute. Really disciplined. And you knew it was God getting your attention. How painful was it? How painful has it been? Painful, right? But what good did it produce? The author of Hebrews quotes this passage word for word. And then he says this. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? 
If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. Imperfectly, did their best, failed. They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If God has disciplined you, if you can look at your life and say, that was God getting my attention. If you can look back and you can see past the pain to the peaceful fruit of righteousness that it's produced. Give that gift to your children. Give that gift to your children. Don't deprive them of that gift. Don't protect them from that kind of love. The father and mother that loves and delights in their children, disciplines and reproves them the way God does with you. And when you do that, you teach and prepare them to receive God's discipline with humility and with trust from the hand of a good father who loves them and cares for them. All right, let's pray.